0: pray with me, please. Father in heaven, we just come early this morning just to acknowledge your goodness, your kindness, your grace in our lives, Lord, and our desperate need for you. And Father, I, I want to thank you for uh, friends who'd rise early, Lord, to want to sing praises to you, want to read your word. And Father, whose intention is to walk out of here, Lord, to to be an ambassador for Christ. I pray, Father, that you would help us today, Lord, just to give us, to give to you our full attention, Lord, our full devotion, and that, Lord, we would be your men in this city today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, um, I've got a little girl who just entered into kindergarten, and she's my youngest, and she's got three older siblings who are well on their way, a little bit older, And uh, she likes to imitate her older brother and sisters. And so whatever they're doing, she feels like she can do, but she could do it better, right? If my oldest, who's 13, is playing the piano and playing it well, she'll get on that little piano and pretend like she can play it. She cannot play it well, though, all right? (laughs) And uh, if my oldest is reading a book, she'll go and grab a book and uh, she'll pretend as if she's reading the book. And what's really fun is when I walk by her room at times and I will hear her reading out loud with a book in her hand. The problem is she can't read. And so I'll walk in and and I'll say, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm reading a book. You're not reading a book is what I'm thinking. Um, your pretend reading, and so, but she wants to be like her older sister. So I'll grab the book and and I'll and I'll say something, try to be helpful. Like you see the picture on the page here of this ball. Well, this is the word B A L L right here that goes with that picture. It spells ball. And the response I'll get from my youngest, who I love dearly, is I know, I know. And 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 I'm like no. You don't know, you, but but in this great self confidence, right, in pride, there's a sense of I know, like there's nothing you could teach me, Dad, that I, I don't. I'm a big girl. I, I can read. I'm, I'm a big girl, and uh, and so I just laugh when I walk by her room and and I hear her reading. Um, I, I watched my son the first time that uh, he mowed the yard take great pride and tell his mom about how he mowed the yard. Did he put the gas in the mower? No. Did he uh, push the mower? Not really, because he was right below me, and as I was pushing the mower, he was pushing here, but you would have thought he did the whole yard. Did he do more than really just one strip, one down and back? No, probably not probably about a minute's worth, but then when mom came out with the Kool-Aid and the refreshments, you know, hey, thanks for doing the yard, you would have thought he took full credit for it. Like, look what I did. I got it. I got the yard. I could do the yard. And who's the one really pushing the mower? It'd be me. You know, I laugh when uh, we went out on our uh, first Boy Scout camp out, right? And I'm trying to help my son. It's going to be cold tonight, Well, he can't think so far ahead as to think, well, how do you prepare that it might be cold tonight? And so I said, you might want to throw a jacket in there. I got it. Yeah, I I know. I got it. Well, we're about to leave, and you haven't put your jacket in your bag yet. No, I I got it. I know. I'm good. And, you know, I really struggled. And some of me, I wanted to say, you know what? I'm going to let the poor lad figure out that he should listen to his dad. Yeah. And then the other part of me said no, because at 3.30 in the morning, I don't want him trying to get into my sleeping bag telling me that he's cold, right? But, you know, parenting is a, is a funny thing because it, it gives me small little glimpses sometimes of how I think God may look at me. Because oftentimes, I'll look at life situations And instead of turning to God in prayer and dependence and asking for help and being humble, I give the Lord one of these, I know. I I know. I know how to do it. I don't need your help. Or I might give him one of those, I got it. I got it. I know. I got it. Or I might take credit for something. You see what I did? I mowed the yard. Aren't you glad that you have me, Dad, to help you mow the yard on Saturdays? know now it's it's kind of funny and it's kind of cute but what happens is 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 those little kids they grow up like you and like me and all too often we're not um, as dependent upon the Lord as we should be we don't recognize our limitations we don't recognize our need for the Lord and his blessings we don't even stop to thank him for how he has given to us all that we need. Instead, we take credit far too often for really what it is that that he's done for us. And so that little, I know, which is cute now, will become stubborn rebellion later on. We're looking, as you know, at at the book of Genesis, and uh, just big picture, I tell you I'm going to do this every week because I think it's important. You want to understand just the outline of Genesis. It's real simple. It starts with four events and then ends with four people. Those four events are creation, fall, flood, Tower of Babel. Then you've got the four people we call the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. The significance of Abraham was what God promises to him in Genesis chapters 12 and 15, which we know is the Abrahamic covenant. And it's here that he says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be, through you will come one who's going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. I'm going to give you a land, Abraham, that's flowing with milk and honey. This is what we refer to as the promised land. And you're going to have many descendants who fill this land, even though your wife, Sarah, right now is barren. Abraham, through you is going to come descendants as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And Abraham has the first child of promise. And this child is named Isaac. And then Isaac has another son. And his name is Jacob. And that's where we are this week. As we're looking, continuing our look at the life of Jacob. And it's in chapters 32 through 36 specifically that we looked at. You have a little chart, I hope, that um, you're filling out as you make your way through there. And this is a, be a great reference point for you as you continue to go back to Genesis uh, and the days ahead. And just have a little spot where you can write down, hey, here's how I titled the chapter. Here's the key verse of that. There's no right or wrong on the key verse. What are the verses that stand out to you? And then what's the content? What, what, goes, what happened in this chapter? And then the questions I have on that, that far side there, just when you read this passage, what are the questions that come to your mind? What are those interpretive challenges, if you will, that you look at and you kind of go, man, that's puzzling to me. What's the answer to that? So in chapter 32, I, look, I just titled that Wrestling with God, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. In 33, we see that Jacob makes amends with his brother Esau. Esau. Chapter 34, you have a really strange, weird passage that is probably going to bring up a lot of questions. 35, you see that Jacob is renamed again. And then 36, you see Esau's descendants. So that's just how I I titled that. But what I want to do is if, uh, I want to look at chapter 32. So if you would, turn in your Bibles there real quickly. I want to read this to you. We see in um, verses 22 through 24, the beginning of that, we see the setting of this little story. This story's pivotal in um, Jacob's life. It's the turning point in his life. Up to this point, we know him to be a schemer, right? What do you remember about Jacob? From the very beginning, he's the heel grabber, right? Born as a twin, was his brother Esau, and he's the one who's grabbing at the heel, and um, he's the one who uh, manipulates his brother. He's a schemer. He's a plotter. He's self-willed. He uh, steals the birthright and the blessing from his brother. And um, and we see here that, that Jacob's going to meet his match, right? We see that the setting is Jacob's alone outside of the promised land. Late one night, In verse 22, it says, the same night he arose and Took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. You see, God had promised Abraham this promised land, this, this land flowing with milk and honey. Jacob is on his way to the promised land. He's returning to the promised land. He knows, though, that his brother is just across the way, this very same brother that he is deceived and manipulated, the very same brother that at one point threatened to take his life. And now here Jacob is, and he's all by himself. He's alone. It's nighttime. It sets the stage for what's about to happen here. We see the struggle in verse 24 through 25. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. We see the struggle that here he is, he's alone and this mysterious man appears and touches Jacob's hip and dislocates his hip. Verse 26, we see the blessing. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And he said, what is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Penuel, saying, For I've seen the face of God, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So that's a kind of a strange story, right? It, it um, begs a lot of questions, if you will. Here's just the way I broke it up. Like I said, you have the setting, that Jacob's alone outside the promised land, which I think is significant. Right before he enters into the promised land, someone appears to him. You see this struggle where he wrestles with this man who uh, is able to dislocate his hip with just a touch. You see this, the blessing and the change of Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel, And then you see the naming of this place where Jacob says, I've seen the face of God. So this raises a lot of questions. Just a few that I wrote down is how are we to read this story? Some people see it as an allegory. Some people argue it's a dream. Some people say it's a prayer. Some people say, no, this is an historical event. You know, it would not be um, unlike when the Lord appeared to Abraham as a man. When God appeared to Abraham and told him in Genesis 18 that, he was gonna, uh, that his wife was going to have a son, and Sarah laughed, how did God deliver that message? Through a man. And so, as you read this, and you wrestle with the meaning and the implications of this text, how do you read it? Is it an allegory? Is it a dream? Or is it a historical event? I'd argue for the latter. And who was this man who wrestled with Jacob? Hosea talks about it as, as the Lord, It was an angel. Jacob concludes, I've seen the very face of God. In what sense was the man unable to prevail against Jacob when he clearly had the supernatural strength to dislocate his hip? Don't you think that's strange? It said, um, it, it talks about uh, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, what does that mean? He touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Seems like he was able to prevail against him to me. I mean, all it took for him was just touching his hip socket, and boom, he dislocated his hip. So, what does that mean? Well, I think that Jacob held on to this man, recognized his desperate dependence upon him, and he never quit. He never stopped. And that despite this man wrestling with him, he couldn't get Jacob to surrender because Jacob recognized his desperate dependence and his need. What is the significance of Jacob's name, heel grabber being changed to Israel? God contends. When you read this passage, you see all this, it raises these questions. What do we conclude about Jacob's assessment that he had seen the face of God? These are all great questions. But understand the point of the story. The point of the story is simply this. Jacob could not enter into the promised land until he acknowledged the limitations of his self-sufficiency and his desperate need for the Lord's blessing. Say that again. Jacob could not enter into the promised land until he acknowledged his limitations of his self-sufficiency and his desperate need for the Lord's blessings. You see, Jacob was a son of promise. And up until this point in his life, he relied upon his own manipulative ways, his strength, his power, his scheming, And God took him and said, Jacob, you need to understand something. I am not going to bless you in all your manipulative, scheming ways. As you've continued to rely upon your own strength, you've got to understand something. God brought Jacob to the end of himself. It was dark. He was alone. And he was about to meet one who was looking for revenge. And there's a lot of symbolism here. That the heel grabber who was alone meets with this mysterious man who's able to just simply touch him and dislocate his hip. And Jacob, out of desperation, holds on. And the man says, your name is no longer going to be Jacob, but Israel. And the meaning of Israel means God contends. In other words, Jacob When you go into the promised land and when your descendants enter into the promised land, they've got to realize what you need to know now is that you can't have a, I know, I've got it, self-reliance, self-sufficiency, but a humble dependence upon me this schemer, this manipulator, this man who relied upon his own strength and took credit for everything in his own life and who cheated others finally met his match. And God broke him. And God gave him a physical reminder of his daily dependence upon the Lord by touching his hip, his hip. When you think about that, Jacob, from this point on, the one who now learns that it is God who contends for me, it is God who's going to win, it is God who's going to give me strength to enter into the promised land, and it's a a message to the nation of Israel as well. Because this is a book that is written to a people who are wandering in the wilderness, and who are about to enter into the promised land years later. That's when this is written, after the Exodus. And they're going to read this. And so for Israel, the message is, hey, Israel, you are not going to prevail over your enemies and enjoy the blessings of the promised land as a result of your own strength, but by clinging to me. Do you remember what Joshua does? Do you remember how strange that story is? Joshua goes straight into the heart of the promised land. And when he attacks... And what's the city he first encounters? Anybody remember? Jericho. There you go. And what a strange way in which God overthrows the walls of Jericho. Why does he do that? Why does he have the people walk around the the city one day, one time, for a every day for a week until the seventh day they go around seven times and then all of a sudden they blow trumpets, they scream and the walls come down. That's a rather unconventional military method, is it not? And I think God's point is this. Hey gang, you're not going to win by your own strength. Jacob, you're not going to win by your own strength and self-reliance. If you trust me, I will knock down the walls that are in front of you. If you trust me, I will clear the giants out of the land. If you trust me, Jacob, I will allow you to find favor in your brother's sight, Esau, who's across the river. And for today, gang, I think the, is, the, the point is clear. We can't enjoy all that the Lord promises to us, his people, until we acknowledge the limitations of our own self-sufficiency and our desperate need for his blessing. You know, some of us are just still like my little boy, Like my little girl. And in pride and independence and self-will, we want to claim, I've got it. I know. I don't need you. Look what I've done. And what we need to do is we need to desperately cling to the one who can bless us. The one who will fight for us if we'll trust him. We need to desperately cling to him and refuse to let go. And hold on to him and say, Lord, I need your help. I need your strength. And when we do that, gang, we're able to enter into the rest and the promises and the blessings of God. What does Jesus say to begin the Sermon on the Mount? What are his words? Do you remember? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For those of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who recognize that they are bankrupt and in desperate need of me. A few questions that you can pick up on your way out that I've written out for you are these is In what ways have you lived like Jacob by relying upon your own strength rather than trusting in the Lord? We've all been there, right? Up until this point in his life, he's continued to rely upon his own strength, his own scheming, his own manipulative ways, and has never humbled himself and said, Lord, I need you. While wrestling with the Lord, Jacob finally acknowledged the limitations of his self-sufficiency and desperate need for the Lord. Have you come to the point in your life where you recognize your limitations and your need for him? Maybe a better question is this, in what sense are you still wrestling with the Lord? And what is keeping you from fully trusting in him and surrendering to his will? Because let's just, let's face it, gang, with every new challenge, right, we got to remind ourselves of the promises of God and that he's the source of blessing. Sometimes we still fight him, don't we? Jacob's limp served as a continual reminder of his desperate need for the Lord and what in your life serves a reminder of your need for the Lord. I love that God dislocated his hip. I love that that Jacob, this old man, this little conniver, every step of the way, he had to walk with a limp because with each step of the way through that promised land, it was a physical reminder of a spiritual reality. Jacob, you're dependent upon me. Jacob, you're dependent upon me. And some of you guys have scars, right? Some of you guys have made some mistakes. Some of you guys have pain. And you can either look at those scars and go, man, and feel defeat. But I would encourage you when you rub your finger across that scar to sit there and go, man, God's good and his grace is sufficient. And it's a reminder to me. It's a reminder to me. of a time in my life where I wasn't trusting him and looking to him for blessing. gang, I'm going to let you go break into your groups. Um, I encourage you to take a look at this story. I encourage you to take a look through the next several chapters. Um, Ask each other those interpretive challenges that you're looking at, those those passages that you're struggling to understand, right? But let's do more than just simply talk about the the information and the facts of the story. My heart is that we don't just become smarter sinners in here but that we bring it down and we ask ourselves, so what are the implications for me? In what ways am I like Jacob? In what ways do I need to learn and humble myself and quit like a child saying, hey, I got it. I know. this is your first time here, then... uh, I would ask that you come up to the front. We've got a group that uh, we can place you in, right? If you've been here a while, you know the drill. You've got a name tag, and it's on your name tag that your room number's there, and you can find your small group to discuss. Let me pray for us, and I'll let you go. Father in heaven, I want to thank you, Father, that um, you're able to take guys like Jacob, guys like me, who in our pride and our defiance and our self-will and our manipulative ways, our self-sufficiency, Lord, uh, you're able to touch our hip. Father, not to, um, not to hurt us, um, but to mold us into um, the men you want us to be. Help us to recognize where the source of blessing really comes. And uh, to depend upon you today for strength. Father, anything that's good, anything that's right, uh, all the blessings in our life, Lord, they come from you. James makes that very clear to us that you're the giver of all good gifts. And so we just acknowledge that. We thank you. Forgive us for when we failed to trust you. When we rely upon our own strength. And help us today, Lord, just to confess that to each other. And to rely more uh, upon you, I ask in Christ's name. Amen.